That's one of the greatest. Woo! In oh, that one's so good. Yeah, what a fun baseline. Just hanging out, chilling. And then the, is it, the next verse is, I wish I were a brake man. Yeah. yeah. A hurtling evening train. Yeah. Oh, right. me too, my brother. If there's anything I would like better than being a fisherman, it's being a brakeman. 50 years of music with 50 year old white guys. You find me in fine fettle. I had the first wine and cheese party for a law school class since fall 2019. We oh. had to do it outside on the front porch in sure. 50 degree weather. Sure. Uh, but we were unmasked and just had a fine time. So I'm a little looser than normal. Blame it on the cheese. Not the oh, okay. blame it on the cheese. <laughs> Are you loose? I love it. And then the second thing is uh, we had a local election here in your Knoxville. Uh-huh. And not one, not two, not three, not four, but five incumbents on the city council, all won re-election. Wow. Going away. And these wow. were people that Indian Canada endorsed. So it's just winning, winning really pretty here. Unbelievable. Wow. Terrific. Yeah, Unbelievable. no, for sure. She's doing a bang up job and the people, the people recognized it. Oh, it really sounds great. like she should run some national governor campaigns. Because, yeah, uh, man, that would be a tough guess. A couple of races, uh, we had some uh, unforeseen face planting by uh, folks. Wow. A little bit. Uh, speaking of race and Virginia, um, guess which novel won the Pulitzer Prize in 1988? Beloved. Beloved by Toni Morrison. I mean, who could argue with the greatness of that novel. We had an argument about that at book club and, and a buddy of mine was arguing he didn't care for it. And I was like, wow, it's a terrible take. I love that book. <laughs> oh, me too. I love yeah. that book. It's not yeah. my favorite Morrison, which is saying something because the love is an all, all time. What's your favorite? Song of Solomon. Wow. Woo! Okay. Uh, really, love, really love Song of Solomon. But to, th I'm, to I'm, think I'm, this I'm Virginia governor's that. race was affected uh, by by beloved being taught in an AP English class. Yeah, I know. How about that? Unbelievable. And by the way, not everybody takes AP English. Did you take AP English in high school, Jeff? We did not have AP courses at my crazy little crunchy granola school. But uh, yeah, so no, no we idea. may we may have. I I never went near that hallway, so I'm not sure exactly what was happening. I love that it was a hallway. <laughs> it was like the nerd smart kid hallway at Situate High. That's right. First of all, Timmy, you were writing op-eds. You were writing op-eds for the Situate situation. The situation. I don't think that... you could brag on being a regular person. <laughs> I was a man of the people with my column. You should you're, 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 my column. <laughs> my column came from my man of the people status. No luck, my, Timmy. Mike no Barnacle. Situate situation. Did that? But did it have both words, or was it just the situation? No, just the situation. That was the name of the paper. Miss Bell from the SCIT. Yeah, it was spelled like the town. 
that dumbass from Jersey Shore when he had his 15 minutes? Were you just dying when that situation guy was famous for <laughs> I it? I didn't spell it right. It wasn't named after Situate, so it yeah. was no use to Timmy at all. <laughs> That's not a awesome. bad name for him to give himself, though. The Situate. What was uh, the name of your backing band with Rich Price? Rich the Price. The Foundation. Just straight Foundation. Rich that's Price a, and the Foundation. I like a, that name. That's a good name. I like that name, too. All right. Well, welcome to 1988. Lots to cover. You all are headed off to college. I am finishing up high school. And we are all listening to the Grammy-winning album of 1988, George Michael's Faith. No way. That won the Grammy, huh? It's a freaking great record. That great is record. a great record. I love it at the time. I still love it. Which song should I play, uh, uh, Benny B? I'll just go with Faith. But you have to skip ahead like, I don't know, a minute to get to the part. <laughs> okay. Hold a lot on. of strumming. And also, isn't uh, Father Figures on that one? And then what's the what's the sad one? That, like the six-minute ballad where he's like... Uh, oh, uh, turn a corner? No, Monkey? Wham. <laughs> it's not monkey. monkey. Good guess. Good <laughs> guess. Uh, it's one more try, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. One, one more try is beautiful. Here's here's Faith a minute in. It's the Grammy winner. It's the number one album. Faith by George Michael. All the games you play, because I play them too. Good stuff, baby. Baby, <laughs> I know. I know. So this Keep song is going. why he won the stupid Grammy. It's classic. It's a throwback '50s beat remixed, and you know all those old guys were like, "Hey, now, yeah, it's all right." Right. It's the same way everybody felt it like when Amy Winehouse won the Grammy. There are a bunch of old soul singers that were like, "Ahem." Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. That's my sound. But it is, I mean, listen, like if you've listened to the the Wham records, this is a significant leap forward. Oh yeah. Like he really put it all together here. Um, Imagine, you imagine Andrew, I hope he gave it to Andrew originally before it came out so he could prepare himself. I know, just emotionally. You hear that on release day, you're just like, damn. (laughs) Um, He also had uh, I Want Your Sex on this album which is yeah, i assume that scared a young timothy that, away. that was too much i like that me. one also, too I, much. also I, like I, that one. I don't really understand the phrasing actually so i'm gonna call him out on poor grammar <laughs> that I was want, your for the timmy i want to have you know one of the problems you were having with having sex in 1988 was your grammar i think right. I <laughs> my, my grammar and my nervousness. Anyways, let's go uh, on in 1988. The Phantom of the Opera debuts. Um, Al-Qaeda is formed. Also not good. Probably even worse than Phantom of the Opera. And I didn't even think that was possible until you juxtaposed those. Yeah, put them together. Uh, In 1988, CDs outsell records for the first time. Jeff, could you give me 
30 seconds on the sound quality difference between a CD and a record. Go. Ooh. No, it takes about four hours. No, uh, when CDs first came out, everybody got excited because they um, they didn't click and pop and you didn't have to be extra careful and they wouldn't scratch. Um, and because there was this sense that they were digitally perfect and that every single one would be a duplicate of the other and it wouldn't matter where your album was pressed or what the quality of the vinyl was and the run that you had, people like, this is great. We'll throw all our old vinyl away. And then it turned out that digital music lacks a warmth and sonic palette that great vinyl has. You know, it's, it's just compressed. Yeah. It's compressed. You get fewer highs and lower lows, and that the quality of the recording, moving from di all to all digital, from analog, the technology wasn't quite there. So, actually, there's a there's a moment from like '87 to '93 when CDs don't sound very good at all. Okay. Um, uh, but that's the moment when they were like, bye bye records. And so what we have now is you have these kind of boutique small batch uh heavy weighted records that get released of class of those of this moment of cds that are selling very well because they they are a little warmer and sound a little bit better like i'll bet george michael's faith on 180 gram vinyl remastered actually sounds better than it originally did in this moment when it came out on cd huh. having said that my hearing is so beat up from playing that that uh to pretend I can hear a huge difference would be to lie to you. I can hear when something's been mixed better. Like there have been remasters that have come out in the last 10 years. Where I'm like, whoa, that sounds so much better than it used to. Okay. But it's not vinyl CD. It's just the quality of the, of the mix and mastering. Okay. But it's also like the CD then eventually just killed the audio file. Yeah. Like yeah. most people listen, like, like, um, and Jeff can correct me, but listening to music online through Spotify is even more compressed. And, and basically by compressing, we mean samples. Like they can't yeah. get every single piece of digital information. It's too big. There's this thing called FLAC, a fully lossless audio codec, codex, what's the C? Coding, coding. coding. Um, where they literally have every single thing coded and it's too big. It's too big. It huh. takes up like huge chunks of your hard drive if you have it. So they compress it to the CD. And then because now like when Spotify is sending that over the, like over the internet, like they can't be having it as big as a CD. So they're sampling even more. So what huh. just happened a month ago is Apple music changed all of its streaming to the lossless. Oh, is that true? Yeah. So if you've got the internet speed, you can actually now stream and Spotify is slowly upgrading all of its files to the lossless quality. Oh, that's interesting. If you're on the road, if you're in your phone, if you're in your car, you won't hear the difference because the speakers you have. But if you're at home with a super fast connection and a pair of great speakers, you now your Apple Music is now studio quality, which oh, is incredible. That's amazing. Yeah, and, and, they, and they didn't change the price. Huh. So Jeff will agree with me on this. One of the great joys of life is to talk to insane people. And some insane people are audiophiles. Yeah. So, right. I mean, I, I, I had an evening in Phoenix, Arizona with a work friend of India's husband where he was like, would you like to come to my garage and see my reel to reel setup? And I was like, would I? Would I? And we went back in his garage and he had it set up with surround sound and 85 speakers. And it looked like the old Motown setup. Like, I mean, it was uh -huh. like as if it was a studio. And he was like, he was like, listen, man. I don't know. He's like, do you like CDs or records? And I was like, I guess I kind of prefer records, but I mean, not. And he was like, interrupted me. He's like, wrong answer. 
Real to real. I only yeah. listen to real to real. Wow. Got out my, wow. His original real to real masters was the Rolling Stones Sticky Fingers. He was like, What band do you like? I was like, Stones. Put on Sticky Fingers. And I'll be frank, it was fantastic. Okay. Was like, Holy okay. crap. Yeah. I was like, does it all sound like that? He's like, it all sounds like that. And I was like, how much do this run day? He's like, I don't know, 35, 40 grand. And I was like, and you're married? <laughs> how, <laughs> how did you stay married? <laughs> and the irony is they got divorced like three oh, months later. When, oh, I came, when I came back in, Indy and I left. We had a lovely time with these people. She's like, you have a nice time with a husband? I was like, oh, yeah, but they're getting divorced. And she was like, what do you mean? I was like, this dude's like spent 35 grand on a reel-to-reel setup, and all it does is get high and listen to music. That's not working out for anybody. That's like uh, the, the Boston guy. He's like, yeah, yeah, I spent the uh, down payment on the house. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. for sure. By oh. the way, I admired the guy. I was like, if only I were you, that would be amazing. But no, no luck. Wow. I can't believe you pre-called the divorce. Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you guys both way. must have seen that though. There are times where you can look at a couple and you're like, "Well, that's oh, not yeah. going to work." Yeah, yeah. you happens. guys could have said something to me when you saw that. Oh, play the whole we walked right into that, yeah. didn't we, Ben? That was that's too bad. All right, moving along briskly. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Let's go to the grant. Oh, I'm sorry. We did the Grammy. We're going to do the best selling album. Well, it's Faith again. Okay. So well, instead of the best selling album contained within 1988, the best all time selling album that came out in 1988, and that would be Fast Car by Tracy Chapman. No. Well, it's just called Tracy Chapman, but are you you're demanding? Oh, sorry. That's the all-time best-selling record from 1988, according to my statistics. Good for Tracy Chapman. How many, how many records did that sell? Lots. <laughs> All right, I'm looking this up, Timmy. to anywhere maybe we make a deal maybe together we can get somewhere any place is better starting from zero got nothing to lose maybe we'll make something me myself i got nothing to prove yeah 20 million albums hey it's a lot of albums give the ball hey timmy do you know who discovered her brian koppelman our Your friend, boy. our friend, he was uh, he was up at Tufts, and I think he he was in Cambridge on on a tea stop, and she was performing, uh, at, I think at the Harvard Square tea stop, uh, and he listened to her, and he missed his train, and then uh, he ended up bringing her demo tape to his dad, who uh, who worked at a record company. So good stuff. And then David Kirschenbaum's the producer, right? 
This is a brilliant example of taking somebody off the street and letting them be themselves and doing just enough in, in production to sweeten it up, but not yeah, so much them. Yeah. The, 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 the reason you signed her in the first place. Like exactly. she never makes another great record after this one. There's no question about it. The, the following two records are a huge step down and it's because they, they went from a budget of 20 grand to a budget of, of 5 million, you know, but these, these she, almost sound like demos and that's why they're, they're so appealing. Yeah. And the songs are like, her later songwriting becomes a parody of the songwriting on this, which is totally fine. Like, I mean, she wrote one amazing record and, and most people don't do that at all. But uh, Fast Car is great. Baby Can I Hold You is great from this record. Oh, love Baby Can I Hold You. Yeah. Uh, talk about revolution. There's some stuff that's aged really badly, though. Like um, the domestic violence song is not good. And uh, the, uh, the acapella song is just, just really, really hard to listen to. They could have given her a little more support on that one. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe a drum. I have nothing. I have nothing bad to say about this record of Tracy Chapman. Good on her. If there's somebody who's going to have a random twenty million dollar killer hit. Yeah, have, have it be her. For, she, for, but there's a there's a song that's just that was everywhere for two albums later. What was the name yeah, of that? One reason to stay here. Yeah, that song, man. Golly. Um, like, is that a golly of yay, I like it, or a golly no. of. Seven no, minutes. I, yeah. golly, if I could not escape that song. Yeah, yeah. no matter how that hard was, how I felt about it. Yeah. All right. So in 1988, we have the finally a ceasefire in the Iran Iraq War. That was big. Uh, either of you remember who wins the World Series in 1988? Yeah, I do. Who? The Los Angeles Dodgers beat the Oakland A's in five games, and because I of Kurt Gibson's was- home run. And in the fall, I was in uh, Dayton, Ohio at the University of Dayton, and I was in the uh, off-campus area of student housing known as the ghetto. Lovely. In in Dayton, Ohio. And I remember having someone singing every single word of uh, it's the end of the world as we know it, which is really impressive if you've seen someone pouring beer on a, at a keg and singing every single word of that song. Can you That's guys cool. sing every single word of that song? I used to be able to. Ben Go. has heard me sing Go. that song. Go. No. What no, do you no, mean? No. What, you don't want to fill up the time on our podcast? <laughs> you're like, straight, let's say, That's great. It starts. Then you can fade out. <laughs> Timmy, you're like, let's move on briskly. Jeff, could you mumble the lyrics <laughs> to a mediocre song? <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> it was at that same party where Kirk Gibson hits that home run. Do you uh, remember, Ben, that a young sports editor of the Bico News called the series in September, Dodgers over the A's in five? And yeah, uh, it's it, strange, Jeff. I do not remember the Bi College <laughs> News so or that editor one, as crisply as you might. <laughs> here's the thing I love about that is I, you know, they made me sports editor. I wrote this column. Uh huh. In September, where it's like Dodgers over the A's in five, and I, I just, you know, I was throwing a dart. And then it happened, and like all these guys who had who did who I was invisible to, were like, "How'd you know that? How wait? Like, what was your system? Like, what did you like? Like Nate Medoff and McGiffin and like oh, all the guys who were huge sports fans. Like, I had this like three day window where they were interested in my existence, <laughs> and then it faded because like I did obviously didn't know anything. I think I picked six out of the Sweet Sixteen correctly, and they were like, "Ah, forget that guy." Yeah. He's done. I had this brief moment of, of sports notoriety. 
Well, I'll tell you, I often uh, pit the two of you against each other in competition. And uh, I feel bad about that because you are good friends. And, and what if I brought the two of you together as a team to play Beat the Clock? So I'm going to give you 30 seconds on the clock for the two of you to name the top four television shows of 1988 the top four one through four and i'll give you a hint they were all on nbc you can have as many wrong answers as you like you're trying to nail all four on your market set go cheers yes that is one la law no damn it ain't elsewhere no what else was on that thursday night that that thursday night was gigantic oh night court was on for a while, but I think Friends, it's Seinfeld. Nope, nope. Uh, we got it made. <laughs> Closer. Uh, a different world. Is that still Cosby? Yes, show? a different oh. world. Oh, the Cosby Show. The Cosby Show. Or three for four. It's one of them. Uh, give us a hand. Is it? Is it a thirty-minute show? Now it's a drama. Oh, it's thirty. It was a sitcom. NYPD Blue. It yep. was a sitcom. There are going to be people listening who are very. Oh, um, um, the one with uh, John Lithgow, where he's Third Rock from the Sun. Oh no, uh, it was Golden Girls. Golden Girls, amazing. That makes me super happy. There are definitely people screaming at the podcast. In yeah. The By the way, we should actually note. Timmy wrote it down in your notes. When we get to be older than Rue McClanahan was when she started Golden Girls. That's an actual like meme on when you're older than Rue McClanahan because she was like 46 when they. Started. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Wilford Brimley in Cocoon. You know, yeah. he, he was really only 50. It's like, oh man. All right, gentlemen. I think that is it for all the fun facts I have about 1988. I want to ask Ben if he remembers the first time he was aware of me freshman year. Do you remember meeting me? Huh. I'm going to guess not. I don't think so. No, I mean, I like, I, I really like you were the by a country mile the best musician at the school, and so I do remember that. Like that was apparent somewhere in freshman year for sure. And then and the sports my, editor, right? And then the sport and your your pick in the in the World Series was amazing. <laughs> to me. Um, but yeah, no, you were the best musician and also just super into music. So I'm, I'm, I'm sure I, I, we definitely met somewhere in there. My first memory of you, the first time we actually met was playing Saturday morning intramural basketball against each other. Oh, boy. In the little gym. Remember when they still oh, had a, yeah. a hoop in the little? And you were so just hang dog hung over. Like, you know, in the beginning, we're like warming up. We're all introducing ourselves. And like, Jeff is like, I'm Ben. He's like, I apologize in advance. I might throw up on the court. I'm so hung over. <laughs> and you, you went, oh, for like 70. Like nobody on your team would shoot except you. And you were just like trying and like after your third shot you were like somebody else has to shoot i'm so hungover <laughs> that's my first way memory. to make a first impression man it was like a oh, saturday dude. morning 9 a.m i'm sure there was like a tuesday day. morning i really drank way too much my freshman year it was saturday morning so. i'm not i'm not underselling it it was a perfectly reasonable morning to be hungover <laughs> and it was a totally unreal unreasonable 9 a.m tip-off for inner yeah day. that's rough for college kids Whew. that's a hilarious memory i don't remember that that's right, that right. <laughs> of course he doesn't remember all right, let's get to our three albums. Our three albums. Boom. Ben Barton, you get to corner the market. What have you got? One of the pleasures 
of doing two seasons is that you can play one season after an, after another. This is the year. This is the year for that. Bring the Noise was my selection for 1988 off of It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back. And I had an explicit discussion about another rap album that came out that year. That's explicit. Rap albums that show diverging paths in, I would say, in the wood, but actually in the city between where we actually went and where, where we might have gone. Um, I was pretty clear um, that I actually prefer Public Enemy. I prefer Public Enemy musically. I prefer them rap wise. And I also just much, much prefer that version. Let me just go ahead and be super extra clear on this though. <laughs> this is an African-American experience and those folks can define their experience however they like. Like I'm not here to explain to NWA about how I would prefer that they express the African-American experience. I'm not gonna do that at all. That being said, insofar as white kids from the suburbs drove this, I can have something to say about that experience. Um, I am choosing Straight Outta Compton. That's the album of the year. That's the proto album. This creates, it defines and guides rap from here into 50 Cent into Club, basically. Like that entire era of hip hop is dominated by um, NWA. They just lay the wood down right here. It's a super interesting listen. If you haven't listened to the record, I would go back and listen to it again. It's interesting because basically NWA basically has only got one real record and it's this one. They've got like a couple of weird singles and 12 inches and stuff that they're kind of like cobbling together, Boys in the Hood and stuff that comes out before it. Then they have this massive gargantuan chart topping genre creating hit. Ice Cube leaves. They have one final record without Ice Cube, not as good. And then we're off to the solo races. Um, it's also interesting listening to it now, how hungry it is. Like you can really, really, really hear that these guys want to make it in the rap game. And then you're like, well, why would that be the, I mean, this is like Ice Cube and, and Dre, like these are, and Easy e had a significant success as well. You're like, this is among the most successful rappers of all time. You forget that it was a hundred percent New York City, not even an East Coast phenomena. It was a New York City phenomena, period. Everybody you've heard of from that time, except with the possible exclusion of Ice-T, are all from the New York metro area. Like this is before you have any Houston scene, any Atlanta scene, no other scene. Everything's from New York. So the, out in LA, in Chicago, anywhere else, they're just scrabbling to get along with it. And you can really feel it in the record. It's a really, really interesting comparison point to, it's a really interesting comparison point to Run DMC and to the Beastie Boys and the public enemy. And it's an explicit discussion of that. There's a song eight ball that samples the beastie boys in it. Um, and they're clearly like working off of that. Uh, it's also interesting that the West coast sample style is so different from the East coast sample style. And it's partially Dre. I mean, what can you say? Dre is just like an absolute master and genius from the first time he cuts a record. And, and are you going to explain that difference? Because I'm not even sure when you talked about Public Enemy, like leaving the concert or or the collective part of the collective left and went back and just started laying down samples. Does that mean they're actually like taking a record, playing a part and taping it? Yeah. 
so I mean, basically it's like, um, so the very, very first ones would sample an entire bit and then loop over it, right? Okay. So that's Rapper's Delight, where they just take a part of the song and they're going over it. Loop, and loop, there's loop. a song that does exactly that on this album, it's Express Yourself, which is just the fantastic soul song, Express Yourself, with Dre rapping over it. And okay. I mean, it's not a shy sample. He just takes that song, cuts out the lyrics, keeps the chorus, express yeah. yourself, do, 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 do. And then it's just him rapping over it. Um, then they've got Yo, other man, ones that a are, lot of brothers out there. Then, then there's, there's other ones that are a little bit more along the lines of what r- later Run DMC or the BC Boys sound like, with a, like a guitar part coming out uh, yeah, okay. and then a drum beat over it. Um, then there are parts that are that are sort of public enemy. I mean, uh, Funky Drummer is sampled on this very similarly to how it's sampled on um, in Public Enemy. But Public Enemy was like gathered it all together and matched it up into this crazy pastiche, and that's not what um, NWA are doing at all. They're choosing different material and then sampling entire big chunks of the okay. material. And actually, if you're going to blame. I mean, it's tough, but I mean, if you're going to blame somebody for the way it worked out legally, where they were like, you can't sample anything unless you pay them, this record is a better one to point to than NWA, because the, the NWA one is unrecognizable, except for maybe like there's a couple of funky drummer parts, there's a couple of like speeches where you can tell what it is, but musically, you, it's unrecognizable. Whereas in this album, you can call out 10 of the samples just listening to them for sure. Do you agree with that, Jeff? Yeah, I do. This feels like it's less art, like the samples are there to give these guys uh, something to rap over, whereas Public Enemies takes the samples, assembles them into something, and then raps over them. Like, I feel like there's an extra, especially on the next Public Enemy record, like the um, Fear of a Black Planet is so dense and so thick by comparison to this record, in my opinion. But Yeah, but yeah so over like the, the year before this and the year before that, Boogie Down Productions, Eric B. and Rakim and Ice-T all put out singles. Not, I guess maybe Eric B. and Rakim have an album, um, but that's sort of proto-gangster rap. But I mean, the reviews at the time were really, really clear. They like There's a review of this record that says it makes Ice-T sound like a Cub Scout. And that's accurate. Like They just turned it up to 11 on the gangster rap thing. And um, it's super violent. It's even more upsettingly to me, at least like as a modern listener, it's like, it's so misogynistic. Like their version of what women are like is just really, really, really hard to wrap your arms around. And again, like that, that's a thing that lasts for, for 20 years and, and maybe still, but I mean, it, it sets the, it sets the mode for that. Um, I'm going to ask Jeff to play Gangsta Gangsta. Straight out of Compton by NWA. Oh shit, man. Damn peachy black gangsters are at it again. I wonder who they fucked up today, man. You motherfucker! Got him. Life or two, that's what the hell I do. You don't like how I'm living? Well, fuck you. This is a 
say goddamn they ruthless Everywhere we go they say damn And WA is fucking up the program And then you realize we don't care We don't just say no We're too busy saying yeah About drinking straight out the eight bottle Do I look like a motherfucking role model To a kid looking up to me Life ain't nothing but bitches and money Cause I'm the type of nigga that's built to last Wow, well and one of my really close friends yeah. from law school is a guy named Mark Reiner, who's just a super lovely, brilliant lawyer and a Jewish kid from Connecticut. This is his favorite album of all time and his favorite hip hop album. And we had a legitimate argument where I was like, how could you choose this over Public Enemy? Like Public Enemy is so preferable. And he's like, he's like, oh no, man. He's like, he's like, straight out Compton, that's what it's all about. He's like, life, life ain't nothing but bitches and money. And I was like, this is later. I was like, dude, you're you're married with two beautiful daughters and you're an intellectual property lawyer. And he's like, exactly. Bitches and money. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. Um, yeah, it's it's rough. I remember uh, my buddy Jay brought this brought this tape up to his room. He's like, listen to this. And we listened to it. And my my mouth was on the floor. And I was like, you know they're they're talking about killing cops what's wrong with cops they protect us uh, <laughs> and jay said timmy we got to find out what's going on out there we got we got to find out we, we got to go to la we got to go to la and become cops uh he's like you be a teacher i'll be a cop then we're going to change things and i said okay i did not end up going to la jay did go to la he's an la cop working with gangs in south central created a scholarship program um like from listening to this album in 1988 uh he's he's given his adult life to being a cop in la and trying to change the dynamic which is really hard if you know anything about the lapd yeah man that's amazing yeah amazing story uh, the fact that jay is a I mean, the book about Jay that Tim needs to write still demands to be written. How, how that's not one of your screenplays yet, I, I, uh, I don't know. But um, I'll get yeah, I, still, I still find this record uh, really difficult to listen to. I totally get it. I totally appreciate it. It's a piece of art. It opened up uh, a way, not unlike the autobiography of Malcolm X, introduced a new way of talking about race relations in an unapologetic way that did not at the cent was not... Uh, conciliatory at its center. This record is not conciliatory. This record is a gigantic extended middle finger. Um, and I get all that. And I still find it, I found it difficult to listen to in the moment. I find it difficult to listen to now because it has aged to the point where it does feel a little cartoonish at times. Like I find myself giggling a couple of times in, in the clip we just played. Like when he says, fuck you at the 35 second mark, it's such a big, loud, hilarious, empty fuck you that actually makes me laugh. Um, I love this record more now thinking of the 18 year old kids making it like maybe this will change our lives. Like and uh, and I and I was skeptical enough in the moment of the narrative that these were dangerous people who needed FBI files like that felt like total bullshit to me at the moment in the moment. But I never connected with it the way Ben did. Like I never, it, it opened, I mean, it opened my eyes. It opened up a sonic palette, but not one that I was like, oh, I need to, I need to hear this again and again and again. And uh, there were guys on my hall who loved it. Um, Jay Federoff loved this record. 
Um, and, uh, and so I heard it a lot, but um, yeah, I don't know. It wasn't its politics and it wasn't its confrontational nature. And it wasn't the, it wasn't the shocking quality of it that turned me off. Um, but, it, but I never clicked with it. Still don't. Did you say Ice Cube wrote most of the lyrics? Yeah, totally. I didn't know. Easy E wasn't one of the writers? No, if you go back and look at it, I mean, Ice Cube gets the credit for almost all of that stuff. And it's actually super fun, not fun, but it, <laughs> the records got several, like each one gets their own like little solo thing. And the right, right. Easy E one is eight ball. And it's amazing that he was the breakout star off of this record. And yeah, actually, right? this is one of the things that's really bad about, or not bad. But like this is another reason how it set the the tone. The reason Easy E was the breakout star is because he really lived the life. He was an actual legitimate murderer and drug dealer, and that's yeah. not he's not bragging. Like that's an actual thing that he did um, to make money before that right. album. And I, I believe that to be true. Um, he's the worst rapper, like by a mile. The the song Eight Ball is. I was like, I listened to it again today. I was like, oh boy, this is bad. <laughs> like he's just bad at it. Yeah. Um, and so to have him be the breakout and then the, 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 the controversy drove the sales, like, like yeah. they got banned off of MTV and then the FBI wrote them a letter and they were like, thank you. Thank you for that. That's amazing yeah. news for us. Because the, that just moved you big time. Totally. Yeah. I mean, for me, um, it's easier for me. It's easier for me. First, I admire Dre so much. I just love Dre's entire career. Um, yeah. And the production is sounds so great. Um, so that makes it easier for me to like. And then also Cube. I've just, I've always been a Cube guy. Um, maybe not some of his later movies. <laughs> pretty, much, pretty much all of the rap stuff I love. And so I the just combination feel like, of those two guys. Don't you feel like Cuba Gooding Jr. is at home every night? Like Cube, you couldn't let me have that lane. You had to, you had to swerve in and take yeah, dogs away from me. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, good stuff. All right. Jeffrey, you're in the dark. I know. Sorry, I, I re- rushed in to start the podcast without turning in a light in this garage. It's getting dark, but um, Is it far away. Yeah, it's pretty far away. Okay, that, okay, go go on. Kind of bicycle. <laughs> like I almost. If it's an audio medium, man. Let our boy That's go. That's right. He doesn't need. <laughs> 1988 is uh, an interesting year for rock music. Um, we talked about how hair metal is taking over, and those guitar sounds change and. Bon Jovi and for a guy like me who likes likes rock music and likes it loud and fast Husker Du breaks up the hardcore movement is stagnant and I'm it's hard for me to find uh heroes luckily the debut record of a of a pretty interesting band comes out in 1988 and uh it's my pick of the year um so one of the things, you know, one of the things that Ben's choice reveals is this, uh, is these guys working alone and creating something totally new. My band is working off of a tradition that's long established and mostly exclusionary for African-Americans. And they figure out a way to take rock music and put it through their own filter. Let's go. Their own. This is Living Colors Year. Yeah the year of vivid their first record um there were some huge hits off this record um cult of personality is uh the big one that everybody knows they also had a big hit with a song called open letter to a landlord um interestingly a lot of records that try to be topical don't age well 
But Living Color, the first two records are aging pretty well. Like the things that they're complaining about are still with us. Yeah. It's like the song Funny Vibe that talks about fear of African-Americans walking down the street. There, there are songs here worried about the climate and the environment, right? Like these guys are ahead of their times in terms of like putting their finger on social problems that will continue to exist. And so like, you don't get, like you listen to 1960s protest songs and there's always at least a verse where you're like, ooh, you know, where they're like right. worried about Khrushchev or something like that. Like this record doesn't have that. Um, production wise, the drum sounds a little, the drum sounds are a little ridiculous. They're enormous. Like the, the bass and snare, kick drum and snare on this record are still reverberating in whatever studio they were recorded in. And on the ballads, they don't pull it back at all. Like there's a couple of slow songs in this record and the drums are like, boom, crack. I mean, they're enormous. Um, and the guitar playing, Vernon Reed is the guitar player. And he comes to this band from underground music. He's a weird metal jazz prog guy. And so you don't get the Eddie Van Halen, like cool solos here. You get very weird, squawky, squeaky, um, dissonant stuff. I super dig it. I think it's why the second record stiffs and why Living Color is done after its third record. Like Vernon Reed's a little too weird to build a career around just a classic straight ahead rock, rock, rock band, but he's a really inventive, very good guitar player. That said, he skews a little metal for me. Like I, yeah, I would, I wouldn't mind a warmer sound from some of these songs. Right. But these guys did what they did and they did it on all 11 songs. And so like uncharacteristically, I actually listened to Vivid this morning. I listened to the whole record on my way to work. And I appreciated that it sounded like a band that set up and played through its live set and put the record out. Like it's, it's weird, big drums, slappy bass, crazy weird metal jazz guitar, and like really kind of funny soul shouting. Like it's like Terrence Trent Darby Jr. <laughs> on this record like he's like i mean the glover is a good he's a good singer and uh and i think so he sings some songs particularly well and then there are moments when he sounds very silly like you know he's like his yes or like really sounds like if james hetfield like somehow ended up in a soul band you know um that said i was really struck by how much i liked the songs one after another one after another the songs are really well written they have verses and choruses and bridges like there's an attention to detail in the construction of songs like third verses have little awesome extra touches like choruses come back at half speed and then double time like it was this is a crafted record it sounds like a band that's written about 15 songs and played them live 50 or 60 times and has gotten inside them and like figured out exactly what they want to do and went into the studio and just killed it. And I also appreciate that they position themselves um, as a, as an African-American band playing rock music and the, the places where they throw out love to previous bands are interesting. They cover a talking head song on this record, which is a really interesting place for them to like, Talking Heads, who started as a little white art rock quartet and grew into a multiracial, multi-ethnic, multi-gendered 12-piece ensemble, is an interesting place for Living Color to position themselves, right? Like we are a hybrid of a bunch of different things, and that's deliberate. Like we're not trying to be anything other than hybridic musicians playing, finding a middle ground between these musical traditions. And when it works, I think it works great. I'm going to play you my favorite number which is not one of the hits. It's a song called Desperate People, which is track four. 
And it, it's everything I love about this band. It starts with this crazy rave up double time solo. And then it breaks down into this killer funky guitar and bass groove. Uh, I can't play the whole thing, but like those two themes come back three or four times, like reinvented, reinverted. Um, this record's really good. It's aged really well. Um, I loved it then. I saw them at the Tower Theater. Did we go together to Living Color, Ben? Did we see that show together? Yeah. I loved it. I loved it live. They brought it hard. Um, so this is Desperate People from Living Color's Vivid. Vivid by Living Color. Picturing you in the car this morning listening to this, what did your little Michael Jackson kid think? As he yeah, as drove along? completely ignored it. It was so <laughs> funny. Like I kept hoping they would be like, "Who is this?" and "What are you listening to?" and it was Nothing. just dead silent <laughs> in the van. I had it pretty loud too. When we got, we were stuck in traffic for like thirty <laughs> minutes, and I didn't like adjust the volume to yeah. account for road noise. So there was like a good thirty minutes when I was blowing them out. But uh, I, He's I texting his mother, terrified. Yeah, like, Help. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So you guys went to a in love and in love and color show together. I'm pretty sure that's right. Yeah. What? Yeah. Some of the Tower Theater, not in Living Color. Like that's sorry, the sorry you're absolutely right. Living Color. Um, Tell me. I, the other thing I loved about Living Color is they started something in New York called the Black Rock Coalition, uh -huh. and like any any rock band that had any connection to African American culture got in on it. And so you also like Ben and I got to see two or three horrible black rock rock coalition bands that came to Haverford like in the black rock coalition and we're like oh well I've heard of living color and it's like there's a reason you've heard of living color I saw two different black black coalition bands that like were terrible so, so tell I me love that they were community minded in that regard you know like tell me about the uh the racial makeup of of the show you mean in the audience? It was almost yeah. entirely white kids. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. They did not cross over to a black audience. Like, and well, I think so that, that was hard on them. Like, I think they expected that they would they would have a, have a racially mixed audience. But oh, uh, do you think so? Really? I wonder if they would have thought that. 
Well, you remember they opened for the Stones on the Steel Wheels tour for about two weeks and they were booed. Like Prince got booed. What? Like, let me tell you, got booed as the opening actor in Steel Wheels. And, and, and uh, they were just completely dumbfounded. Like, you know, we play, we play in small clubs and there's 2,500 white kids like with their fists in the air singing along. We try, and when they tried to do it in stadiums to older, larger white. Uh, crowds, it did not, it didn't, it didn't come across. So, yeah, but this also, it doesn't, this does not match with the Stones. That's not, no, it's a weird choice. They should have opened for Rush. You know that that their favorite <laughs> band is Rush, and Rush loves them. Like that's oh, a mutual that's love affair between Rush and this band. And I just know that actually. That's, oh, you didn't know that, dude. Vernon Reed, when they interview Vernon Reed, he's like, I don't really much care for rock music. You know, basically, this is James Brown and and Hendrix, except for Rush. I love Rush. <laughs> that's, that's just the greatest. What a cantankerous. I know, but also, dude, you could hear it. He's not kidding. He yeah. really likes Rush. Yeah, that's that is freaking hilarious. And of course, Rush loves loves them too. I actually, I think this is right. Um, I like the second record better. I think I like the second record better. It's really good. Time's up. It's aged yeah. really well. It's it falls off a cliff on side two. Like oh, is first, that right? I just like one's it. fantastic, but uh, but you're not wrong that there's lots of great stuff on the um, second Living Color record. It's really yeah. good. All right. This is a hard year for me, 1988. There's a lot to choose from. Um, I couldn't go wrong choosing Bobby Brown. I couldn't go wrong choosing the Traveling Wilburys getting together. All By the way, Whitney band. Houston said the same thing about Bobby Brown to me. <laughs> don't, hook, don't, don't pee up the Traveling Wilburys. By the way, we, I got so much shit. I went on the age-old podcast. Oh, what happened? What? And, uh, to talk about, is it better to burn out than to fade away? Right. And uh, they were so pissed by our Graceland take, Ben. <gasps> oh. oh, man. They were hell hath no fury. <laughs> Like like Paul Simon fans maligned. They oh, so I am more than happy to go on that podcast and take my lump Wait. for sure. <laughs> they, did, they didn't like your take. They really did not appreciate our take. They were like, you can't really dislike that. You were doing that for, for show, right? You can't really dislike that record. Everyone likes that record. And I was like, and I was like, I hate to disappoint you. I love you guys so much and I want you to like me and I can't <laughs> like that record. Even at the expense of I, our friendship. I love the they, idea that they, you're. They had to eat the cultural appropriation, right? At least they admit that, or they were they I like, I, oh, I, I it's a real I, collaboration. I was just trying to get it out of the casino with some chips. I didn't push it too hard. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I love the idea that you're doing it for show. Like you just care about the ratings of your podcast. Next, I'm after. I'm after that forty fifth thousand listen for you, Timmy. <laughs> That's all I care about. Hey, here's what we're going to do. Uh, you guys both chose uh, rather underrepresented bands and, and elevated them in this podcast. That's what I'm going to do. I, too, will choose. An under are you claiming that NWA is <laughs> a small, at, unrepresented at time, band? At the time. Uh, I will go to Ireland to find my... Man. Don't you shake that head at me, young man. That's a big fucking surprise. <laughs> we're going to go with the water boys and we're going to play some fisherman blues. Go. I, this was my, this was my 1980s. First of all, let Timmy eat. Second of all, this is a song you should have chosen. This is the better song in this record. Do it, Timmy. Fisherman's Blues by the water boys. Woo! <laughs> 
That's one of the great. That's one of the greatest. Woo! In woo! Oh, man. That one's so good. Yeah, what a fun baseline. Just hanging out, chilling. And then the, is it, the next verse is, I wish I were a brake man. Yeah. A hurdling evening train. Yeah. Like, oh, right. me too, my brother. If there's anything I would like better than being a fisherman, it's being a brakeman. Being a brakeman. <laughs> so fun. Uh, but yes, you did pick a song from this album last year, but I do not have to adhere to your Fair enough. Fair enough. We will not be lovers. Seven minutes and three seconds. Not a bad song. Too long. It's overplayed. The looping, like seven minutes of looping is too much. This is perfect. Four minutes yeah. in, out, like passionate, brokenhearted Irish love song. Oh. That's my jam. Fair enough. Um, give, me, yes. give me the uh, 30 seconds of bang on an ear. Really? Oh, boy. You guys don't like that? What? Oh, wanna, boy, Timmy. You want to get out while you're ahead, man. I, we oh, all oh, this is a fun little song. A ditty. This is the longest one on the album, before mike scott of the water boys not have gone double or nothing on that one buddy he's so great now does he go and become world party no no one else become world party pearl wallinger becomes world party mike scott stays the water boys he does the whole way through yeah 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 i love that this is a song on this record called world party just i know wallinger for leaving the water boys i think that's hysterical and by the way i'm taking that title yeah as i leave well, I, I I told you guys I once lived on a small island off of the west coast of Ireland. And you have your affinity for Ireland. And on that small island, they had a pub. And in that pub, they had pictures of the one night that the water boys came to their island and played that pub. That it was fun. like a remarkable night in, in Inishmore history. I bet that was great. Yeah. Have you guys been out to see shows since uh, the world return? Have you been to a show yet, Timmy? No, I really got to go. Love it. It really feels good. I'm really going to, see, uh, I'm going to see Julian Baker Saturday night, and nice. I have uh, tickets for Courtney Barnett coming up. And, and uh, I'm really, I'm loving being back out. You're back in the swings. Well, I got my, uh, I got my booster today, so I got three shots in me. I think yeah. I'm ready. And out here, you have to be vaxxed to get in. You have to stay masked through the whole show. It feels pretty, it feels pretty safe so far. I haven't had anybody freak me out yet. But. Am I also right that this is the last podcast we'll record before one of us has a birthday? Or is that, that wrong? Seem correct. Right. Happy birthday to the Knoxville contingent of this podcast, my brother. When's your birthday? Friday. Yeah. Fifty-two years young. I don't know. Making 50 years of music and even yeah. bigger lives. We got to start auditioning <laughs> younger guys for this role. It's got to be like new edition, right? When one of us gets to like 57, you'll just swap us out. Uh, that's correct. Sorry, uh, you've aged out. 
<laughs> oh, right. Timmy, just go ahead and put me out of misery tonight, Matt. <laughs> All right, so I'm gonna make a commitment. I gotta, I gotta go see live music. That's what I gotta do. In the next week, I'm gonna see a live act, and then I'll wow, report. In back. the next week, I don't want to put that kind of pressure on you. You might want to wait until till something good comes to town. Beauty on Friday, Saturday night. I'm gonna go in search of live music Saturday night in Nashville. All right. Or I'll Very drive. Nice. Or I'll drive to Knoxville. All right, <laughs> gentlemen. <laughs> You hear a knock at Ben's door. But you got a spare room now, right? Empty nest. I do. That's for right. Like the 2 a.m. You said if I was ever in town. Let's go. All right, gentlemen. You have a great Wednesday night. Ben, you got something to say? Yeah, man. Uh, the great <laughs> India Kincannon had a very telling comment on Jeff's smithereen selection. Oh, I was hoping you'd forget. One of the questions that was asked to me, I believe by Timmy, and it is a question. Doesn't India like the smithereens? And I snorted and said no. Then I asked India about it. She listened to the podcast. She didn't recognize Wall of Sleep. And she was like, "There, like, there's a song by this band I know. So she went to Spotify and she listened. And she was like, oh, yes, I do know some of these songs. <laughs> then this is how she summed it up. Then she hated it. And then I said, well, what do you mean? What do you hate about it? She was like, it's everything I hate about rock music done badly. Which I thought oh. really captured it. It's that like loud guitars, dumb lyrics, singing, all in the worst version of it. It's basic. Such a telling comment. I can't believe wow. it's a review of my own record. <laughs> <laughs> you could put you could put that up there. India okay. Kincannon loves your record, Jeff. Yeah. Oh, no, I mean I've gotten some bad reviews. I, I I recently got a bad review of my single that was similar to that. It was like, you, if, if any of this was good, it would be good, but none of it is good, so it's not good. I was like, that is that is really getting to the heart of it. You also had very positive reviews about indeed, it. Indeed. I had some positive reviews, too. Yeah. I'm just, I actually, I find the negative reviews kind of fun. I don't know what it says about me, more but entertaining. I occasionally get a negative review that makes me laugh. I'm like, yeah, I kind of feel that way about it myself. <laughs> Speaking of which, dear listeners, uh, if you want to give us a review... Here, uh, 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Go to Amazon, go to Apple Music, go to iTunes. Lay down a review. Tell us what you think. Uh, or or we'll just live in the dark. We'll just we'll just, we'll just, all right, my friends. My friends. All right. Hey, if you're having as much fun as we are, leave us a review on iTunes, give us a rating on Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you listen to podcasts, give us a shout. And then check us out on Twitter or at our Facebook page, 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Hey there, I'm DC. I host the rock podcast, Back to the Arena, The Interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock fan like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, the interview. Electric Acid. 
Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to Electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electricast.